0: Talk. Talking Transport, the podcast from the Transport Network.
1: We've still got a stack of audio left over from my Talking Transport podcast from Singapore to bring you over the next few weeks, but this latest edition of our Smart Highways podcast focuses on the latest issue of the magazine. Coming up
0: in today's edition.
1: I'm Smart Highways editor Paul Hutton bringing you an issue about safety on smart motorways.
2: Safety is the biggest issue, I think. I think when people get in their cars and get on the road, they want to know that they can get to A be without being hurt
0: and in car his life has been saved by his bmw bringing
3: 999 with e-call enforcement they also do managed lanes in the united states they just in the states they do it without teeth what i mean by that they do it without enforcement so, you can imagine which works better.
1: And quantifying ITS benefits. We've actually been able to measure the real benefit of UTMC in financial terms as we look at some of the articles you can read about in the latest Smart Highways.
0: This. This is Talking Transport with Paul Hutton.
1: So our cover feature in this Smart Highways is all about the topical issue in Britain at the moment, the safety of smart motorways. Given the technology is being copied, or at least considered, around the world as a lower-cost way of delivering more capacity, it's a key issue everywhere. So Smart Highways reporter Emma Greedy spoke to key people about the concept, the problems and the possible solutions. The
2: main points, really, are that people still aren't 100% sure what they do and then therefore whether they're safe or not. People vaguely know what they are, people know that there's big electric signs all around, but the news everyone's just talking about how terrifying it is and how many people are dying on them it
1: is an, an issue because obviously hard shoulders themselves anywhere in the world are very dangerous places if you if your car breaks down and you pull over onto a hard shoulder the advice is to get out of your car and get over the barrier get up onto the grass verge or whatever you can do to get away from the main running lane because the chances of you being hit by a vehicle veering into the shoulder is still extremely high so it's not necessarily that smart motorways are any less safe given the technology that's around them but the perception possibly through the lack of education for people has given them a very negative image
2: I agree I think that these kind of news stories are always going to be more popular nobody really wants to know about how amazing everything is everyone wants to know what's wrong everyone wants to know how to fix things and it's gonna be talked about for a long time to come.
1: In the issue, for example, you talked to uh, Steve Norris, a former transport minister in the UK, who, when he was uh, transport minister, turned down the idea of using the hard shoulder for all lane running. Let's hear what
4: he had to say. I've always made the point that the M42 was uh, a particular stretch of motorway, which has, I think everybody who uses it knows, is very, very busy indeed during the peak period, at which time the traffic of course is probably only travelling at about 20 miles an hour. That's just a function of of congestion. And what that means is that, of course, in those circumstances, you can. Put your red cross up pretty quickly, pretty easy to observe that section. And um, most people will recognize that, fine, that means get out of the way. Even if they don't seem to recognize what the issue is, they shall see a vehicle in front of them and have plenty of time to stop. So does it work? Yes. Is it a good way of delivering extra capacity without having to acquire more land? Yes. Fine. I have no problem with that. I think my problem is assuming on the basis of that, that it actually works for normal speed motorway. Because there, first of all, you know, we are literally speeding up the whole process. That means that, for example, the camera, camera operatives have either, in human terms or in technological terms, got to be able to respond a lot faster. Or we've got to provide an awful lot more areas in which refugees, in which uh, people can stop. And of course, you know, at the moment, um, Highways England will say that all the evidence is that these roads are as safe, if not safer. Those are the form of words that they use, uh, than normal motorways. But this is comparing decades of normal motorway uh, use with relatively few months of advanced high-speed elimination of the of the hard shoulder. I still worry. When I was minister, I said, no, you know, I really do think the hard shoulder serves a very, very important purpose and ought to be kept. This is all about money because it's about delivering more capacity, more cheaply. And I always worry when money is the issue and safety could be the consequence.
1: So it's interesting, the viewpoint there from Steve Norris uh, about safety and, one of the other baffling and rather surprising things within your uh, investigation was how little of the smart motorway network in the UK is using all the technology that exists that could be used for stop vehicle detection. There's technology there that makes the road safer that is just not being used at the moment.
2: No, and I think when people hear smart motorways, they want everything to be run by computers, technology, but when they find out that humans are still needed and still being used, they kind of see them as a little bit, I guess, old school still. They're not, they're not going where they want them to be going.
1: And uh, as well as the main feature you've done on smart motorways in the issue, we've also got a feature from Atkins on how connectivity will improve things in the future and also some more on the stop vehicle detection uh, technology from Navtech Radar and Mark Begg. Now, I spoke to Mark during the uh, Talking Transport podcast from the ITS World Congress in Singapore. Let's uh, hear a bit of what he had to say.
0: We use a radar-based technology that monitors transport traffic on the road, identifies when something goes wrong, so a behaviour or something else going wrong, whether that be a stopped vehicle, whether it be a uh, obstacle, debris on the road, or whether it even be a pedestrian walking across the road. And we do that within uh, 10 seconds, notify the operators that that is going on, and they then in turn can spread that information out to the road network.
1: I think it's interesting there, Emma, that uh, the technology does exist and the feature that we're running in the magazine on page 24 uh, is particularly interesting on a a real example of how technology does make the roads safer.
2: Safety is the biggest issue, I think. I think when people get in their cars and get on the road, they want to know that they can get to A and B without being hurt, without having a fatal accident. So, yeah, this technology is needed, really. People want it and it needs to be perfected. And it's
1: where the ITS industry comes in and deals with it. So, Emma, this is your first appearance on Talking Transport. You've been working with me on Smart Highways for what, about eight months now. Um, Clearly you're still here, so we must be doing something right, but how are you enjoying getting into the ITS industry?
2: I can say that once you start meeting people and attending events, all of a sudden you get dragged into the world and you want to find out more. You start noticing things in your day-to-day life that you didn't notice before and you realise how important this technology really is.
1: So Emma is another person who fell into ITS and is realising what a fun and fascinating industry it is. We'll hear from her regularly in future Talking Transport podcasts. Let's hear from a couple of our columnists now who stick with the safety first message of the cover of the latest issue. In a moment we'll get an American view from our Washington DC columnist, the former ITS-American President Scott Belcher
0: but first here's Andy Graham whose column on page 19 looks at e Basically Paul I think the point is that about 60% of new cars that are sold have got this eCall button and if you've got one go and have a look for it by the mirror it's probably got SOS or something written on but when you go to buy your new car the chances are that it'll be explained on page 597 of the 700 page manual Or the salesperson will probably say, oh, don't press that button, it'll collect you to the police. Um, And actually, there's a great opportunity there for educating people about when to use it, when not to use it. So don't use it when you've got a puncture in Tesco's, but do press it when you see a coach on fire on a motorway. It's interesting because exactly that happened
1: when my wife got her new car just before Christmas last year and was basically told by the uh, salesman in the showroom, that's the emergency button, don't press it. Which was just, that, that was the sole amount of training. And when when I read your column I'd actually asked her when she would use eCall and she didn't know and it just strikes me that we've got this big feature in smart about uh, smart motorways and the issue of it taking up to 19 minutes for people to be rescued if they uh, break down in a live lane well surely that's a perfect time whether it's you that's broken down or you see someone that's broken down to hit the eCall button
0: I think we would say if you would ring 999 from a, a mobile then why not press the button? Because the other thing about the button, as well as connecting you, gives us the exact location of where you are, tells us which vehicle you are. So if you're reporting something, you don't have to say, "Uh, um, I'm on the um, M25 somewhere between Heathrow and Gatwick. You just say, I've seen a car broken down, Thanks very much, Bish Bash Bosh. I think the, the other thing is really important to, to realise that a lot of people are, are kind of using this button mistakenly because they haven't been explained that it's not a breakdown button. There's a different buttons for that. Uh, and also that um, people, are, you know, leave the kids in the car. Uh, there's a button there. It's got a shield on it most of the time. But if you know, if your kids start pressing that button there, it could ring in nine nine nine. So we really need people to understand a bit more about what it's about and how it's used. Do we have any evidence that it's
1: actually worked in the real world, or is it just another one of these nice theories that
0: looks good on paper but doesn't that necessarily actually matter? I could show you the press cutting from the Metro magazine where a uh, mother showed that her son had really been his life had been saved by. His BMW bringing 999 with eCall. Um, we've got some statistics coming through the number of calls that are being made. These are growing increasingly because new cars are sold still. Uh, but also, we think there's a really important point which is you can buy various devices or apps that will do eCall in your old car. So, if you've got a 1920s Austin 7 or a Model T Ford or a 1960s Ford Escort, all of these could have eCall as well as a new car. This, this is Talking Transport with
3: Paul Hutton. Coming to speak at Traffex Scotland, it made me think about how far ahead the UK is in their use of photo enforcement and cameras, in um, everything from managed lanes to road X to congestion pricing. And it made me think about where the United States was. There's so much that's happening in the UK and there's so much that we can learn and should learn in the United States. Where is the U.S. on this then? I mean, because I, I
1: see when I drive, for example, through California and it says you know, speed enforced by aircraft and you never see any aircraft anywhere. Um, what's the way of enforcing speed limits and other bad driving in, uh, in the U.S.?
3: Well, I know it'll surprise you, Paul, but the United States is divided. <laughs> Two-thirds of the states allow for photo enforcement, and more than a third of the states don't allow for it. Just this last election cycle, the second most populous state in the country, Texas, banned photo enforcement. Yet the fourth most populous state in the country, New York City, or, well, actually New New York, but in the form of New York City, passed the most expansive photo enforcement program in the history of the United States. So we're all over the place. And I see the uh, reports that, for
1: example, there's a lot of photo enforcement going in around schools in New York at the moment.
3: Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. They've they've got a three quarters of a billion, a $750 million procurement to deploy photo enforcement cameras around school zones in New York City. So your view is that we, you
1: can learn from what's going on here in the UK, and part of what Smart Highways is doing is trying to share the best practice from around the world. Now, we're doing a big
3: investigation in this issue, as we've already heard about on the podcast, on um, Smart Motorways. There is there's great interest. In fact, um, one of there's an Australian company called Redflex, who uh, does managed lanes in the UK. They also do managed lanes in the United States. They just, in the States, they do it without teeth. What I mean by that, they do it without enforcement. So you can imagine which works better. We're moving increasingly in a direction in which we move to hard shoulder running. It's really the only place we have left to build, but that's enormously dangerous if you have cars that are parked there. In an urban environment, when you're doing hard shoulder running or you're doing bus rapid transit, and you have tnc's sitting waiting for their their next ride or you have people parking or to run into the florist in those lanes it's enormously dangerous and until we get the political wherewithal to enforce those types of situations we're going to have a very serious problem
1: it's all about perception though isn't it because the the, the newspapers here in in britain will talk about the war on the motorist and actually if you spin it round it's not a war on the motorist it's the war on bad
3: driving photo enforcement's been proven to be the most cost-effective way of achieving safety around we simply don't have enough police officers and it is not a good use of their time Um, we're far better off using cameras and using them intelligently by giving people enough warning and letting them know that it's going to happen but then when people are, are 15, 20 kilometres above the speed limit, they should be fined. And they should be fined over and over until their licence is taken away. And Scott Belcher,
1: former President and CEO of ITS America, and now a leading and phenomenally well-connected consultant talking photo enforcement on smart highways. His column is on page 17 of the latest issue. Before him, you heard Andy Graham talk about eCall, and we'll be looking at the aftermarket dash cam with eCall included in the next issue of Smart in quarter One Twenty. In this issue, we have articles about smart motorways and also three features on mobility as a service, including a write-up of the debate which took place at the ITS UK Summit in October, while our big interview is with global ITS and smart cities expert Zaina Naza, who has some fascinating things to say about education, ITS delivery in different parts of the world, the gender pay gap, and even soap. Don't miss reading that on page ten. Make sure you take some time to read the ads in the magazine too. We have contributions from AGD Systems, Navtech Radar, Envis, GAIST, Dactronics, Unoptic, SRL, Video Alert and Siemens, plus details of Intertraffic, TraffEx and the ITS European Summit in Lisbon. We've also got a series of articles about traffic management, from using the nudge theory to make a difference, managing traffic better using data, and also a long but excellent article about the use of automated solutions within urban traffic management and control. The article is about solutions in North East England using Mott MacDonald software called Osprey, so I talked to Ken Cowan from Mott MacDonald about it. Strategies are bits of automation which um, smooth out traffic flow or, or make
5: decisions under certain conditions. But Ray's gone one step further, he's automated a lot of his strategies, so much so that he actually feels it gives him an an extra man in the control room, so it's like a force multiplier for for his team. Now, he's also quantified these in financial terms using the web tag, and for once, we've actually been able to measure the real benefit of UTMC in financial terms. It's something which um, we've wanted to do for a while, but... By measuring the difference that these strategies are making to the operation of the network, we can actually measure the value that he's adding to
1: the- Now, when you are finding a value to the economy of uh, transport improvements, how is that actually accounted for within an authority? Because it's kind of like fairy gold, isn't it? That There's a cost to the authority of implementing it, but the benefit doesn't necessarily go on a line on their spreadsheet. It just kind of goes to the wider economy.
5: Well, as we know, local authorities are very cash-strapped these days and they can't just implement things without having solid business cases. This adds real value to the business case for UTMC and it shows not only for UTNC um, for systems which are already installed, but for those authorities that wish to think about a UTN system, what they might achieve and how they might justify it.
1: Well, I won't steal the thunder of the whole article, because Ray's article is really, really interesting, and I urge you to read it wherever you are uh, in the world, but just the the three bullet points i'd take from it four percent reduction in average journey times five percent reduction in journey time variability so therefore you've got more confidence that your journey is going to take what you expect expected it to take and 11 percent reduction in peak hour delay not only is that making drivers happier but it's also making the air cleaner
5: Absolutely. I would say there's another factor as well. He's able to deliver these uh, benefits without actually increasing his team in the control room. So, you know, it's a double whammy, if you
1: like. Increased value all around. Okay, so you can read this article in the latest issue of Smart Highways. It's called automated improvements and it starts on page number 38 of the latest issue of Smart Highways. Ken Cowan from Mock McDonald thanks for your time. There are lots of features about traffic management in the latest Smart Highways. We've also got our events guide and ITS Association columns packed in as well to our 68 page issue. You can read it all now either your paper copy or online at smarthighways.net and if you want a paper copy and haven't got one yet you can pick it up at the Golf Traffic in dubai in december i'll be presenting podcasts from there too and as i say listen out for lots more from singapore in the next week or two as well but for now thanks for listening and enjoy the
0: latest issue of smart highways talking transport is produced and presented by paul hutton for the transport network suite of products